Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. My name is Laura Rowe. I'm the editor of the magazine and your host for this week. On this week's episode, the team discuss what constitutes a perfect gin and tonic. You might be surprised at the answer. Gregor and Janine fight over the best one-pot recipes. I don't have favourites, honest, but this week I'm backing Janine. And I talk to our social media savvy digital intern Jordan about our favourite Instagrammers. First up, here's Sarah and Alex talking about gin and tonic. Hi, so I'm Sarah. I'm the drinks writer here at Olive, and I'm here with Alex, who is our editorial assistant and digital writer. Hello. And we're here to talk to you about gin, because yes. we're all massive gin fans we on the are. team. Perhaps like a little too much. <laughs> um, but we decided to kind of go back to basics and talk about the classic gin and tonic, where it's come from and why it's so popular. Mm-hmm. And some uh, little twists on new, newer gin and tonics yeah. as well. Yeah, and okay. how to match your gin to what garnish, because there are some crazy things happening at the moment and it can all get a bit overwhelming. <laughs> yes, Sarah's <laughs> getting a bit stressed. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so gin and tonic came about when the British Empire was at its peak and there was lots of trading with India with the, the East India Trading Company. And people were given quinine to fight against malaria. Mm -hmm. Now, quinine is incredibly, incredibly bitter. So to kind of make it more palatable, people mixed it with gin, which is the obvious thing to do, really. Right. Um, And that's kind of where the first gin and tonics started coming from. And then when they came back to the UK, back to England, they had developed a taste for it and thought, actually, I want to continue drinking this. Yeah, not just to fight malaria. Not just to fight malaria. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is why it's called tonic. Um, right, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, but back in the day, it would have been very different to how we see tonic. We see tonic as this crystal clear, bubbly liquid. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it would have been more like a syrupy consistency and it would have been brown. Okay. Because quinine comes from, it's actually a bark once you soak that in water to make your quinine tonic or syrup, it's a really kind of gross brown colour. Lovely. <laughs> Which, yeah, thankfully has been kind of stripped yeah, out. Yeah, I'm glad it's most. <laughs> It has. It has definitely. 
so that's kind of how it came came about really and it's been popular ever since and gin has just exploded in the last couple of years and it is everywhere and it's gone from a kind of stuffy drink that your nan drinks to actually the thing to have in your glass trendy (laughs) but it can all get a bit confusing so we're going to talk about kind of why people are experimenting a bit and how Mm -hmm. to best pair your gin with your tonic and now obviously People take a lot of care. There are so many brands available. People take a lot of care over what gin they're choosing. Yeah. But tonic is just as important. Yeah, t- it's two-thirds of it, isn't it? So Exactly. It's more important if, well. Well, yeah, exactly. You don't want to drown your gin. You don't want to mask the flavours of that gin that you've carefully selected out of the thousands and thousands of bottles that are now available. Um, and there are loads of different tonics available now. Yeah. So, Only about the past, like, two or three years, isn't it, really? Yeah, that that's, that's kind of been sparked in reaction to the gin craze. Mm. Um, so there's some great brands out there. And I mean, obviously, Schweppes is still the market leader, um, which I'm not angry about. I think Schweppes is a great choice. It's classic. Yeah, I do prefer the Fever Tree, but I think also yeah. some people don't actually like Fever Tree because they think the taste is too... They don't like the taste because it's got quite thing. a distinct taste, doesn't it? Exactly, and that's because Fever Tree actually uses... Um, proper organic quinine right whereas okay brands like Schweppes or supermarket owned brands are using artificial flavoring right Future actually uses the real thing which makes it a little bit more bitter and then there's tonics like Henry Thomas tonic which is German I think Um, and that is incredibly bitter Double Dutch is kind of a nice in between it's a real kind of all-rounder so there's lots of different um, ones for you to experiment with Mm mm-hmm so what what are the classics that you would uh, pair that with? Oh, And also garnishing, because that's really important as well, isn't it? So you've got your gin yeah. and your tonic, and traditionally it was yeah. lemon or cucumber, but now there's all sorts, which well, yeah. we'll talk about in a bit. But yeah. what, what would you say is the classic Well, again, pairing? that pairing that lemon or lime with it actually also goes back to the same kind of era, because okay. it's citrus to fight scurvy. Oh, yeah, of course. All makes sense now. So what you can conclude <laughs> is gin and tonic is very good for you. Yes, you very, very good for you. Only um, in moderation, though, of course. Of course, you drink responsibly. <laughs> um, so you've really got to think about what kind of notes are in your gin when you're picking your tonic. So, for instance, like, like Tancray, which is Tancray 10 specifically, which is really citrusy and bright, needs um, a tonic that's not going to overpower it and that has those kind of citrus undertones. So something like Fever Tree... It's citrusy, it's clean, it's not going to overpower. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got a spicier gin, you might want to try something a bit heavier, a bit bitter. Um, if you've got super sweet gin, you might either want to complement it and go for a sweet tonic, um, such as Double Dutch, it's a bit sweeter, or um, 1724, that's in those little, it looks kind of cool, it's in um, a different shaped bottle and it's got a yellow label, um, but that's a little bit sweeter. So that's best paired with? Um, they pair it with Gin Mare a lot. Okay. Or it depends if you want a sweeter gin, you can pair it with a sweet tonic or go completely the other way and pair it with something that's super bitter. Okay. It's all about personal preference. Yeah. And then you start talking about garnishes. Yes. Which is a whole nother kind of yeah. box that you open and trying to match them and trying to match flavours. Oh, this gin's got loads of grapefruit in it, so I'm going to put a grapefruit twist or herbal or whatever it is doesn't like citrus brings out um well it gives a a fresh note to like more 
peppery, spiced gins. Yeah, and it also citrus complements kind of floral notes and gin mm -hmm. really well. Um, whereas if you've got something spicy, you might want to go um, for something like a herb, say rosemary or okay. um, orange works quite nicely with spicy gins. Yeah. Well, so speaking of um, speaking of which, I one of my favorite we spoke about before. One of my favorite gins is gin mare, mm -hmm. um, because I think what's good about all of these new experimental gins, people are just exactly that experimenting and seeing what works. And I love I love gin mare because it's it's so fresh and really savory. It's got loads of botanicals of like rosemary mm. and thyme and like it has from got a really interesting. Savory known olives is in yeah, there. Yeah, olives, and also it's got um, it's got lots of citrusy notes. So, but it's a special blend from they have sweet Seville oranges and bitter Valencia oranges, and then lemons from the Lleida region in Catal <laughs> Catalonia. Um, and we have it in the olive office. We do. With, it's a favourite for Friday drinks. Yes, with rosemary to bring out those Mediterranean botanicals, and also with orange to. Yeah bring out all the citrus notes yeah um, it's interesting because gin mare as a brand have done a lot of research on how to make the perfect gin and tonic and they've done lots they've got lots of scientific graphs and they've broken it down mm. and done it all by esters which are the kind of the um chemicals that give you smell and flavor and they suggest that you serve gin mare with mango and a little bit of black pepper right which why mango is it to give it that it's like kind of, creamy it's what matches they've nice. kind of got these graphs and then compared them all and that's kind of what matches on the flavor profile which is yeah. a really interesting thing to do yeah um so maybe we should try that and also time. it's very important to have it in the big goblets with lots of ice yes ice is key to yes. any any cocktail and gin and tonic is technically a cocktail um is ice to keep, it's it's not going to dilute your drink it's actually going to keep it colder mm -hmm. and make it dilute less the more ice it is it kind of acts like a little igloo and you um, can doesn't it make it um it enhances the flavor doesn't it because people think that it dilutes it but actually if you think about your taste buds mm. um if you're having ice it, it's a bit less harsh so maybe it, yeah it kind yeah. of tempers that the alcohol yeah a little bit but yeah the goblets are great because they kind of the way that they're shaped and that they curve up at the top means that they are kind of like like um, a champagne flute. It's concentrating yeah. the flavors, or, like a wine, or a wine glass. glass. Yeah, it's concentrating the flavors to your nose as you drink it. So it's yeah, okay. ideal. Cool. Now I'm I'm a bit of a stickler because <laughs> while I think all these new gins are fantastic, I am getting a little bit bored of gin now, which is really controversial. I know, <laughs> I know. Our editor a, is shaking her head. <laughs> I'm going to get fired when I go upstairs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I like to just keep it. Classic. Yeah. If I want a gin tea and I think, oh, I really fancy gin tea, then I'm going to be reaching for Tanqueray yeah. or Sipsmith, I think is great, although it's a newer gin. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic and there's a lot of care and a lot of um, thought that's been put into creating that. S served simply with fever tree and yeah. a slice wedge of lime. Yeah. For me, that's all. Yeah, I, I do, I do, I do love that as well. But um, I, I do like those with a bit of a, a twist. I do like mm. um, portobello gin with a twist of grapefruit yes, because that um, delicious. that's got like nine different botanicals in it. So it's got juniper berries and coriander seeds and orris root, which is like a really floral um, yeah. botanical from the iris. And I think those are all really classic um, ingredients yeah. in gin. 
And then serving it with that twist of grapefruit really complements like the floral citrusy yeah. notes. Makes so, it um, brighter. So that it's can delicious. be our... Um, our compromise. Yeah, our happy compromise. compromise. <laughs> Great. Well. I think, yeah, I think what to take away from it is just experiment. Yeah. Try different gins. Find your favourite gin. Try it with different tonics. Find your favourite tonic. Mm. Find what garnish you like with it. It's all about experimenting. There are no rules. Don't be kind of penned in by marketing perfect yeah, serves. Yeah, exactly. But what what would be great is if you could, if you have any perfect serve suggestions, if yeah. you let us know on Olive Magazine, um, by Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, and uh, yeah, just show us your perfect yeah, serve. Let us know, we'll try them out. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant, thanks. Bye. Thank you to Sarah and Alex for that very interesting chat about gin and tonic. I have duly noted Sarah's uh, reluctance to try new gins and I will make sure that all future bottles come to my desk first. And remember, if you want to learn more about gin and tonic or gin or any other drinks, there is plenty of content over at olivemagazine.com. We've got a big feature on the history of gin and we've got some great gin cocktails there too. Happy drinking. Next, we have Gregor and Janine in their regular slot, Recipe Wars, discussing their favourite one-pot recipes. So this week on Recipe Wars, um, it's me, Janine, and Gregor. Hi, Gregor. Hi, Janine. And we are talking one-pot recipes. Yes, we are. Now, first of all, I'd just like to get clear what a one-pot recipe is, because we were discussing this in the office, weren't we? We were. Uh, What what are your views? Well, a one-pot recipe to me is does what it says on the tin, really. (laughs) It's a recipe that you you cook in one pot, and that's it. So it it seems to me a bit of a cheat if you cook one thing in one pot and then you have to do a a sort of a bowl of couscous or or cook some rice separately. Yeah. That's a two-pot. It is is a (laughs) two-pot. But then you're, is it not like you're cooking the main element in, in one pot, as in you're cooking... Or most of your cooking gets done, and then the thing you're serving it with is just a little kind of add-on. I think. I I would characterise that as a two pot, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I think I think it, it doesn't really matter. I'm just no. I'm just I'm just sort of kidding because basically the main element cooked in one pot, yeah, yeah. because a, a lot of other things you you cook in many other mm. different pots. So. so shall we say it's it's a recipe where. Pretty much all of the cooking is done in one pot. Yeah. And if you have to do a little bit of rice on or, so, or pasta on the side, then... then yeah, then wh- why not? We'll accept it. Yeah, yeah. we'll accept okay. it. And then we can move on from, yeah. that, from that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I think we've actually both chosen completely one-pot recipes this week. Yes, I have. Yeah, and, yeah. and I have too. Yeah. Um, shall I start with mine? You do that, you do that, yeah. Um, so I'm going to the wonderful world of Hawksmoor, who's mm. one of our favourite restaurants in London and yeah. I can see your face I've got a picture of the recipe here and Gregor's grinning from ear to ear I remember it it was, <laughs> it was, a, it was amazing yeah. because it involves a huge piece of beef shin um, what the recipe is is it's called beef shin macaroni so it's kind of a mashup between a slope of beef shin and macaroni cheese yeah, um, it's unbelievable though <laughs> it is unbelievable. Yeah. The reason it's unbelievable, it is all done in one one pot, but it's kind of done in stages and there's mm. a bit of kind of reducing and refining in between, which I think is what, what makes it really beautiful. So um, so what you do is you take um, a whole piece of shin, and this is a great recipe for, um, you have to get down the butchers to get this because what you want is a, a kilo piece of shin with the bone in because mm. the bone's going to add loads of flavour to that stock. Mm. And then you marinate it overnight in red wine. And then the next day, you um, put it into a pot 
with the marinade and some uh, beef stock and you cook it really slowly for about three hours. Then you remove the beef, um, reduce the liquid down, and then you're adding to that some, um, it's, it's not cooked macaroni, it's just almost cooked, so it's just been part, part cooked. So it's going to finish cooking in the liquid. Um, put the beef shim back in, mix in some cheese, put some more cheese on top and then bake it at a higher heat and it comes out looking like the most incredible Flintstone style <laughs> macaroni cheese um, with this gorgeous kind of goldy, crust, crusty, yeah. it, cheesy beautiful. top. I mean, it, you, you have, in a way... I would call this kind of cheating because mm. you have picked one of the best recipes we've ever ever done. That was And it's over. Um, okay. it, was, it, was, it was beautiful. But in, in a way, mm. to sort of undermine you here, what yeah. I've done is I've picked a recipe that you wrote yourself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, but rats. actually it, it, it is one it is yeah. one that I've used with my uh, at home with my kids yeah. like a number of times. And uh, my my girlfriend loves it as well. I mean, she it's actually her that asks me to do it. Oh, because really? It's really, really good. So what what it Thanks, is Susanna. is Dijon <laughs> yeah, is Dijon chicken casserole with buttery herb dumplings, and it is you know strictly a one pot <laughs> because <laughs> because you, you do cook it all at once in one pot, and that's it. Yeah. The dumplings as well, so you even have your carb right there. I mean, as you do with yours because you've got the macaroni, mm. but so it's. Uh, Basically, you j- just put the, uh, the sort of butter shallots and, uh, I mean, you do cook the chicken and thighs, but you can cook them in the same pot first. You could cook it in the same pot, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you know, yeah. if, if if your attraction to one pots is for uh, dishwashing, yeah, yeah, which it's got to be part of the equation, surely. Um, that, it's a, that it's, works the, it's an attractive part of it, it's isn't it? Let's face it. it. Yeah, as, as well as just being able to put. <laughs> Maybe it in that's the why oven. she loves it so much. Are you a multi-pot is. man when no, you cook not really, normally? No, and really? I tend to wash my own dishes as oh, well. Oh my god! But um, <laughs> you know, it's because I can't do anything else. But there, but there you go. And and uh, so I, I cook. Yeah, you cook the chicken, mm. and then you put it in the pot along with the various vegetables, wine, chicken stock, double cream, uh, tarragon, um, and. Uh, and then you make the little dumplings as well. Dumplings. You just put them on the top and whack it in, and uh, with a lid. But then I always take the lid off at the top so just to get the, crusty, just yeah. to get, give them a bit goldy. So I, I know that's a bit of a cheat. They're not classic dumpling because dumplings are tend to be a bit. Better. You need the steam to make but, them yeah, puff up. Make but them actually, puff up. a lot of people really like the um, like the crusty top. Yeah. It's a little bit like a cobbler then yeah, as well. It is. Yeah, yeah. But I love dumplings. Yeah. Don't don't see enough dumplings in this world. I'm a I'm yeah. a I'm a huge dumpling fan. Yeah. Um, and actually, that recipe when I wrote it, mm-hmm. um, I think people have been asking how you can make dumplings without. Like, I w- I would always use a tora suet because I love it, and it's what my grandma made. Yeah, uh, dumplings with, and I, you know, I think beef suets. It yeah. might it might not be great for your arteries, but it makes such good dumplings. Yeah. So I've always got a box of a tora suet in my cupboard. Yeah. Um, but with this one, what you do is you freeze freeze the butter and then grate it. Yeah. And then you mix it with self-raising flour and a bit of salt and season it. And actually it it acts in the same way as a suet does as the fat, the fat's inside it. So it just kind of puffs up to become dumplingy. I can stodgy. attest that it works very well. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. And it's yeah. a slight it's a slightly more refined way to do dumplings. Yeah. Um, I mean I love suet too. I've got a packet of a tour suet. It's, it's also a design classic. 
isn't it? The, the yeah. Atora package. They've never really beautiful. moved on from the 70s. No, no, but and they, that's don't, a good they don't need to. <laughs> no. don't need to. Um, it's actually quite getting quite hard to find now. You yeah, can, it it's is. really easy to buy the vegetarian, but not easy to buy the beef suet. No, it is. I mean, actually, in in, uh, in Smithfield's meat market, mm. um, it's, it's, you, it's really hard to buy suet. Yeah. Even though it's a huge meat market and they've got everything, really hard to buy it. So you, you have to have kind you of bought it in a block then? Before? Um, no, I never have. The reason I know this is is because of talking to a friend of mine who works in a restaurant, mm. and they tried to get suet, and it took them ages to actually mm-hmm. make an arrangement with someone to get it. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully, um, you know, people will be encouraged to go out there and buy it, or mm-hmm. or even use. Butter and self-raising flour works just as Which well. Which works perfectly, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say as well, because we, we've both chosen kind of stewy things, but um, but one pot, it doesn't have to just be like that, does it? Because I know you're a big fan of like the sort of tray roast type thing where oh, you... Yes. Um, what, what I think is lovely about one pots is that you're you're building flavours up. So, you know, I've, I've got a few dishes, dishes for example, is a really good um, chicken dish where you just throw vegetables and halved lemons in um roast them for a bit then roast the chicken on top and then all the juices and fat from the chicken go into the veg mm. and then you squeeze the lemons over to finish and i think that's the sort of thing where you're creating all of the flavors in one dish and you're literally just spooning it out onto the plate again so yeah i mean actually now that you mention it i could i could have had this as my one pot um you had your uh guinea fowl tagine oh yeah in the december issue that's true which, and so I, I made that at the weekend i used chicken but okay. that's it was, acceptable it was amazing <laughs> all the only other thing i had to make was was uh, was a big bowl of couscous yeah ironically but it was fantastic yeah um and and you know my friends were impressed one of them said that's the best thing you've ever made it was really, really good. It's the the paste really that does it, but yeah. also the, just the cooking the carrots and the dates and the and the onions. Just that really rich flavour base. It was amazing. Okay. Yeah, well, I think we've I think we've yeah. proven that it it's it's easy, it's accessible. You can do it in loads of different ways. We've got tons of one pot recipes on olivemagazine.com, So go find some. Thank yes. you very much, Gregor. Thank you, Janine. See, I told you Janine would win. If you like the sound of those recipes, make sure you head to olivemagazine.com. And last but certainly not least, here's myself and digital intern Jordan talking about our favourite foodie Instagrammers. So this is Laura here, the editor, and I've got Jordan, our digital intern. Hello, Jordan. Hi. Hello. Um, and so today was very exciting in the office, wasn't it? It was indeed. We got to 50,000 followers on Instagram, which was really exciting. So thank you very much for everybody that's been following us and interacting with us and taking pictures of all of the recipes that you've been making. That's been really cool to see. Um, but it got us thinking about kind of our favourite food Instagrammers, because um, there are a lot of them out there now, Jordan, aren't there? So many. So many. And um, kind of what makes a good Instagram photo but Jordan how about you tell us about some of the favourite people that you've been following recently Instagram is just the place to be if you want to stalk foodies right now mm-hmm. definitely obviously it's so visual um, so one of my favourites is um, What for Breakfast okay and um, oh I might pronounce her name completely wrong but it's Marta Greber okay so she's a food blogger from Berlin isn't she yeah um, and she's really, really on trend at the moment. She's got a great, like, dark and gothic kind of aesthetic going on. Yeah, it's really unique. It's um, I think what makes 
certain Instagrammers really special is when they've got a very distinctive style. Mm. You know, I, on my Instagram, follow thousands <laughs> of people. So it's really cool when you have somebody that you follow regularly and you can instantly tell yeah. it's their picture before even Completely seeing who it is. Out. Yeah. And they're, they're really unique, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so she's also got this, like, this tiny little blonde-haired baby, mm-hmm. which quite often features in her photos, just, like, covered in food. And that's just really nice to see because it's, it's not just... I am kind of like manufactured profile like it's genuinely her life and her work and what she does yeah I mean they're they're just gorgeous pictures (laughs) and then they're kind of they vary but they're all of the same style so that she'll do close-ups and then she'll do group shots but they all have this beautiful sort of dark gothic aesthetic don't they yeah really really nice so she's got something crazy like 409,000 followers but she's definitely one to watch if you want some breakfast inspo okay another one which I've been following for ages is a I am a food blog okay tell me about this Um, one and this is run by Steph and Mike Lee and they're a couple and they're from Vancouver Vancouver so Canada and this is very different completely a huge contrast so they've got this really lovely blog um, and they work together on it as well and then they put all of their photos on Instagram they're quite it's very light and bright quite cute and kitsch they've got some kind of animal type cupcakes going on that um, we can see that's Toroto okay the anime film My Neighbour Toroto okay um, sure <laughs> if you say so <laughs> if you're a fan you'll know it's okay. great it's great and some owl toast or some sort of animal toast with Nutella looks like it anyway yeah either way <laughs> all very cute and light um, um, and yeah I don't know they've, they've just got this really kind of cool kind of life going on I kind of want to be them um, yeah Steph has got this rainbow hair which quite often features um, <laughs> And they just they travel everywhere and they eat and they photograph it and talk about it loads. And Living the dream, then basically. Literally. <laughs> okay. And then if we're going to talk about Instagram stars, you can't not mention Izzy Hozak. Okay, so we've actually featured Izzy, haven't we, in the yeah. magazine before? In June, in our refrigerator in the magazine. Yeah, so for those of you that um, might not know, in our um, monthly magazine, we have a, a feature called Fridge Raider, and that's where we kind of profile our favourite Instagram stars. So um, Izzy, we've loved for a long time. So t- tell us a bit about her and, and why we chose her. So she's only 20, um, which makes me feel completely inadequate. <laughs> uh, Jordan, talking to the wrong lady here is slightly more your senior, but yes, carry on. Yeah, fair. But um, yeah, so she's got like... 216,000 followers on Instagram and she's also studying food and uh, nutrition at uni at the moment Um, and she's just so on it with gluten-free trends and stuff like that like she's always following seasonal stuff but Mm -hmm. it's not just like fads like She's put so much time and effort into her stuff and they really work. And, and it's food that you great. want to eat, isn't it? Yeah. So she won a, a YBF, a Young British Foodie Award this year, and she's from London, um, but obviously at Union Leeds. But um, the food, what I noticed with her posts is they're not, like, overly styled. So the last mm. couple we've mentioned, you know, they are, they're sort of book-worthy, yeah. they're, they're gorgeous imagery. And not to say that Izzy doesn't know how to do that, but they just look a bit more real, don't they? They look like the sort of food you're either making at home. Something that she's whipped up, taken a photo of, and then eaten. Like, yeah, it's, it's not gone cold because she's taken so long styling <laughs> yeah. it. Um, it's just really, really natural. Really natural and just food you want to eat. She, she's a real star, definitely one to watch, and a great, great British uh, young foodie. Yeah, yeah, she's really good. Absolutely. So her blog's called topwithcinnamon.com. Definitely one to check out. I've got a couple of others. They're really bakey. Okay. Not Megan Hundy. It's a, an American lady, mm-hmm. and she is amazing macarons yeah she's so so good she does do bakes and other things like that but it was a lot of uh, those little little treats 
Um, but she has a she they fiend, so okay. she had a um, an up one the other day with the little balloon house. Very and cute. Stuff. And they're just they're just so perfectly decorated. And um, sometimes just marbled ones and gold leaf and really carefully painted. They're just so delicate. And it's crazy. Cool. So, I mean, we're going to actually put this feature online, aren't we, to yep. tell our sort of top Instagrammers to follow this year and going forward into 2017. So definitely check that out. That'll be at olivemagazine.com and written by the lovely Jordan. Um, but Jordan, let's give a few tips now on what we think is is a good way to take Instagram photos yourself. Because, I mean, I do. I've got a personal Instagram and I take pictures. Yeah. But there is, there's definitely a technique to it, yeah, isn't there? no doubt. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not an expert in it either. Mine, mine's a bit of a mess, but um, certainly some people have got the knack. Yes. Um, I think one of the things is lighting, really important. Yeah. Um, Which is not good at this time of year because it's dark no. all the time. <laughs> but I always find when I'm out for, for uh, eating, lunch is a really good time to take pictures. And just, okay. I always, well, I don't, it's mostly for the experience as well. But just in case I wanted to Instagram a picture by uh, a seat by the window is always good for that. Just a little bit of natural light. Sometimes the um, mm. lamps or spotlights can be a bit harsh. Um, we've got, again, this feature online by some of our team who are definitely pros. They've given lots of top tips. So one is if you're taking it with your iPhone, you know, don't zoom in because that reduces the quality. Um, and you can reduce the camera shape by pressing the plus volume bottom, uh, button when shooting landscape. Oh, that yeah. helps as well. Um, and there's also the square option as well if you want to kind of ready crop. Um, there's things like the grid you can use on your phone as well. That can help. And also there's things like you would do with any picture, not just on an Instagram, but um, rule of thirds. So that's about kind of making the right composition. So you basically imagine drawing two horizontal lines and two vertical lines across your image to create nine equal parts. Yep. You're keeping up, Jordan? <laughs> and then the important elements of your picture should be placed along those lines. So it's just thinking of, like, how and it's going to look. Yeah, and you, know? you get that on your form of the grid. That's what will help you do. Perfect. Um, and then there's things about, yeah, composing your image, lighting, and use hashtags, but not too many. Yeah. I get really annoyed by all the hashtags, oh, I have sorry. to admit. Yeah. <laughs> But I know they're useful for when you're trying to search for something. But, um, yeah, just don't do too many. But all of that's, again, at um, olivemagazine.com. And obviously you can follow our Instagram as well. Yeah, and check out our Food Raiders. Yeah, so Fridge Raiders is in every month in the magazine. Um, and that just shows a little sneak preview inside our favourite Instagrammer's fridge. So that's every single issue. So, yeah, you can get that in good uh, news agents and supermarkets now. Or you can download our digital edition uh, via the Olive Magazine app. All right, brilliant. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I look forward to reading this lovely feature. All right, thank you. Thank you to Jordan and everybody on today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed chatting and eating and drinking for your pleasure as ever. Make sure you tweet us, Facebook, Instagram, email, write us a letter, ring us up to tell us what you think and if you've got any suggestions for next week or any future podcasts. Remember, you can subscribe and download our podcast for free each week via iTunes, Acast or your favourite podcast provider and you can now listen to them on our website too. Just click the podcast tab on olivemagazine.com. Happy listening, happy eating and drinking and we'll see you next week.